welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we don't know what to do with ourselves as we blow out, pile on and dive in. Hurricane Ian might be the dullest name ever, but losses could blow out to over 60 billion. That Insight podcast stalwart, the business interruption test case is back and everyone is piling on the High Court of Australia to argue whether to allow further appeals. And the annual dive-in festival is back, but it's not all fabulousness as insurance professionals rank mental health as the most pressing cultural issue that needs to be addressed within the industry. Hello everyone, I'm joined by the cream of insurance news. Senior journalist Miranda Maxwell, editor John Deeks, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, oh and chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, John. Hello. Now, if I know my alphabet, and that's a big if, surely Hurricane John is next. I don't know. I don't know about that. It's usually less common names, isn't it? Ian's not common? Oh. Yeah, fair point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. How was Dive In? Dive In was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, lots of thought-provoking ideas. Excellent. We'll ask you about that uh, later. And hello, Terry. Good morning. Terry, the uh, dive-in revelation is a bit of an eye-opener. Are we okay? Good question, Andrew. Uh, no, we're not. And, and, and globally, apparently, the, the insurance industry is is suffering, certainly mentally. Well, someone who can fix that. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. The BI test case must be like a well-worn, well-thumbed novel for you. Well, it is. I'm, I'm wondering if it might be about to come to an end and I'll have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something else you can talk about. Let's talk about the weather first, Wendy. Hurricane Ian has caused havoc in Florida. Can you give us the blow-by-blow update on what's happened? Well, it, it's still relatively early days as far as assessing the costs, but it's looking like it could be one of the most expensive hurricanes for insurance losses that the US has experienced. Most of the losses are in Florida, where it uh, first made landfall as Category 4, then it crossed the coastline again in South Carolina as a Category 1. And Fitch Ratings put out a report just after it hit Florida, putting losses in a range of 25 to 40 billion US. But then since then, I've seen a report from Verisk estimating the losses at 42 to 50 7 billion US, and with the majority of that estimate attributed to wind damage. And, you know, people use different criteria for their figures, but that would make it the second most expensive behind Katrina. Wow. So, Terry, why do Australian insurance professionals need to worry about what's happening in the US? Well, Florida is a pretty good example of a cyclone-prone area, I I think, or hurricane. It's a long peninsula with lots of very expensive property on low-lying land. So if that sounds familiar, uh, think of so many coastal centres in Australia. And then think of reinsurers' growing belief that coastal land is a is a higher risk now than it was a month ago. And the amount of property covered by insurers in Australia that matches that description. Coastal property in windswept-prone regions are a risk that, that's really getting tougher to cover. And I guess that's the message. Florida property is a difficult market for insurance, and it always has been. And we'll, we'll no doubt see many of the small insurers that proliferate there simply because the big guys wouldn't play. So I, I think they'll all go to the wall by the side of it. Well, moving on, Miranda, we know home under insurance is an issue, but quantity surveyors now say it's getting worse. Yes, we have known this was becoming a bigger and bigger problem, and now they estimate under insurance is beyond 90% of home and content policyholders. It's another downside of inflation, 
because a sharp rise in costs, as anyone who's building or renovating would know, has hit builders from disrupted supply chains, labour shortages and surging demand, which has been egged on by government grants. One example is the cost of reinforcement materials. This is shot up to $2,400 a tonne from just over $1,300 a tonne two years ago. The Institute is expecting more volatility in commercial construction next year and recommends things like rise and fall clauses in contracts to adjust for fluctuations and give a bit of cost certainty. But it's also now warning that even if you can budget for higher prices, you can't always guarantee delivery because so much of our equipment comes from overseas. John, what role can the industry play in this? Yeah, I think I think the industry can help. I mean, ultimately, the sum insured that uh, that is nominated for a home building is provided by by the customer, by the insured, and it's their responsibility. But I think the insurers and, of course, brokers can help people to understand just how important that figure is and how it might have changed because of some of the issues that Miranda was just talking about there. So, uh, you know, nobody wants to think about this stuff, partly because they hope that their home is never destroyed, uh, but also partly because if they put their sum insured up, guess what? That means premiums will go up too. But it does need to be tackled. Now, there are calculators out there and insurers will recommend that you go online, fill out a form to sort of tell them how big your home is, what it's made of, and all of that stuff. But it's time consuming and people often, they don't really know. They don't know how many square metres their study is or what materials are used on their roof and all this kind of stuff. So maybe the answer is in technology. I mean, we, we get told more and more about all these fancy tech solutions that can give information about buildings uh, from aerial photographs and the like. So maybe in future that some insured will be able to be calculated in part through technology. Well, talking of technology, John, we talked about cyber last week and Optus has given us license to do so again. Budum Tish. But there's another major report out there that raises concerns about smaller companies. That's right. So the Actuaries Institute has published a green paper, Cyber Risk and the Role of Insurance. And it talks about the vulnerability of organisations and the role that insurance can play. Now, we sort of covered this before, but the, the paper makes clear that insurance is not the first line of defence. There has to be mitigation in place. So companies have to get in place their cybersecurity measures so they're not an easy target, then insurance can step in and provide cover. Now, the report says that SMEs are a bit of a worry. Obviously, we've been talking about Optus, which is a big firm, but SMEs are very, very vulnerable. And uh, the Actuaries Institute says that education on cyber risks is just not reaching them. About half of SMEs spend less than $500 on cybersecurity, and only 20% of them have cyber insurance, uh, something that the actuaries described as, as shocking. There is some good information out there, but for one reason or another, the SMEs are not aware of it or don't want to think about it. Uh, so again, this is an area where the insurance industry can help. Brokers can certainly get involved and help their clients to understand this risk. And once they do understand it and put these measures in place, then they'll find the insurance is an awful lot easier and cheaper to come by. Well, the smarter SME owners need to be across this stuff, don't they, Terry? But 
Is this about insurance, medication, or just common sense? <laughs> yeah, mitigation really comes with common sense. I, I do think and, and agree with John that, that this is something that brokers really should be focusing red hot on. They're, they're constantly talking to their clients. Well, they should be talking to them about this. It's an ideal opportunity for brokers to reinforce their role as the people who understand cyber risks and what to do about them. And it's small stuff like online security as well as the big stuff like risk transfer. But the the fact is that in this kind of thing, I, I really do believe that brokers have the potential to play a, a really pivotal role. Well, we haven't talked about the business interruption test case for a while, Wendy, but now it's your turn. There was an update last week. Yeah, I think the last time we talked about it, we were saying that um, leave to appeal applications had been filed with the High Court. So now we have a a date and those applications will be heard on Friday next week. Uh, So there are three matters from the ICA test case and also the Star Casino Group is uh, seeking to appeal its its case. So most of those went the way of the insurers in the full court. So it's the policyholder side that's appealing. But in one uh, case, it's the insurer looking to appeal over whether JobKeeper should be taken into account in making any payment that might be owed. So um, on next Friday, the High Court could just say, well, no, we don't want to hear any more on this. And that's the end of the uh, the legal process. Or else they may say, yes, uh, we would like to um, discuss this a little further, in, in which fact they'll schedule another hearing and the, those particular matters will keep going. Well, even by my own podcast introduction standards, this has been a pretty long and drawn out saga. Terry, do you think there's, we've learned any lessons for the next time a pandemic strikes? Of course not. Uh, I reckon the insurers right now have teams of law graduates scouring every word of every policy, double checking every little bit of legislation for possible relevance. Look, I'm sure this was a hard thing to explain to their boards, and I'm really bet that no CEO wants to ever see something like this happen again. But high court judges don't give you time off for missing a change in legislation. This whole thing always makes me ponder the number of insurers who actually did miss that same thing in policies, in their own policies. And and the comment from a a very dear friend of mine that that insurers copy each other's policy wordings all the time. So, Andrew, perhaps there are no real lessons. It, It might just be a case of someone copying a mate's homework and getting the same things wrong. No lesson. Maybe uh, just do your homework or face detention then. Well, finally, Miranda, the annual Industry Diversity and Inclusion Festival dive-in took place last week. And uh, as I said at the start, you listened in to some of the local sessions. What are the key takeaways? Yes, I did. I was lucky to listen to some. The recordings are online. I hope some of our listeners have tuned in. Uh, One that stood out to me was Tasneem Chopra, who described herself as a Bendigo-raised, turban-donning, exhausted activist who loves coffee and chocolate. She didn't mince her words and said, for such a melting pot, Australia's cultural representation in leadership was abysmally low, and I'm afraid she did use the pale male and stale line. Hybrid working was another hot topic. Uh, An academic called Frederick Anseal said, people really value flexibility now and won't give it up. And so employers need to lure people back with a sense of belonging and social identity. Another session revealed half of Australians are living with chronic health conditions. 
many invisible, especially to their managers. And then Marsh hosted a session encouraging insurers to hire neurodivergent Australians. And apparently they're thinking this could actually help solve the talent crunch in the industry. So some really great food for thought from this year's dive-in. And Terry, um, one of the key takeaways uh, echoes what we found out in our wellness survey, doesn't it? Yeah, you you l- listen to some of the, these uh, reports and, and speeches and you think, my God, <laughs> this is our wellness survey that's coming out in the next magazine, really reflects some of the things that, that we've been hearing from uh, the dive-in sessions. I just have one question of Miranda. Miranda, what is neurodiversity? Good question. Apparently 20% of the population are neurodivergent. So it's everything from sort of autism right sort of down to just a mild dyslexia. So it's it's people whose brains are just wired a little bit differently. They think a little bit differently and they have some special needs in terms of hiring and the recruitment process that, that employers should really be addressing so they're not missing out. Oh, fair enough. So my ADHD might actually find a home, Andrew. I think that that horse has bolted, Terry. That horse has bolted. <laughs> and on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh, Miranda Maxwell, and neurodiverse Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.